Hey, what's up, guys? It's Jordan with the Laundromat Resource Podcast. This is show 89, and I am pumped you're here today. Uh, for one, I'm a, actually, I'm a little embarrassed, to be honest with you. Uh, this is show 89, and I just found out that you can record uh, your screen, your video in Zoom in HD. I literally just found that out like two minutes ago. Embarrassing. Anyways, I'm super, <laughs> I'm super pumped today because today we have on the show Cameron Clark, and Cameron just ah oh man, he brings it today. Cameron's been on a webinar with me. He was on a panel webinar uh, earlier in the year 2022 when we we're talking about headwinds. This guy uh, not only owns a bunch of laundromats, but he owns a, a pretty rad distributorship. Um, too. And he'll tell you more about that in this episode, but this is an incredible episode. I mean, he's got a lot of experience from multiple different angles in this industry and he shares just a ton of really great stuff. And I pin them down on specifics on things like marketing, on things like um, you know, demographics and how to analyze demographics. I mean, we're talking about how to scale your business. I mean, we talk about a lot of stuff and I really pin them down and ask them specific questions. So that way we all have actionable things to take away from this thing. And uh, man, Cameron, huge shout out to you because you really brought it today. You guys are going to love this episode. Real quick before we jump into it with Cameron, though, I wanted to uh, just say a huge welcome. It blows me away. How many of you guys are participating on the forums over there? How many of you guys are joining both the free and the pro memberships uh, every single day, which is crazy. It just blows my mind. So welcome to all you new uh, members over there. Hopefully, you guys are getting a lot of value out of Laundromat Resource, whether you uh, are just a lurker or you're in the free community or you're in the pro community, uh, whatever level you're at, welcome. And hopefully you're getting a lot of good stuff over there because uh, there is a lot of really good stuff over there. And I'm not just saying that because it's our stuff. Uh, I'm saying it because I've heard from a lot of you guys that uh, a lot of it is super helpful for you. So uh, with that, we got a, a, a fast lane tip for you today. Uh, I got to like work on that transition a little bit. But anyways, Fastlane today. And Fastlane is just a little tip to help you get the most, put you on the Fastlane towards achieving whatever your next step is in your path to financial freedom through laundromat ownership. So your Fastlane tip today is uh, one of the resources that we have over there for both the free members and the pro members uh, is a store details worksheet. And basically what this is, is a uh, a, a spreadsheet that's going to allow you to keep vital information about your store in one place. And it really uh, came in handy this week for me. Somebody came in with like a screwdriver and something else trying to open coin boxes, which is super annoying because you can't open the coin boxes that way. They're too good. And it, sometimes it just ruins the coin box. So I have to like replace uh, like four or five coin boxes. Super annoying. However, Super easy for me to jump onto a my favorite parts website because I pulled up my store details uh, worksheet. I had the serial and model numbers for the machines that need new boxes or whatever new parts right there for me, and I could just pull them up right there. Um, and again, that is a free uh, download if you're in the free membership, and it's also included in the pro membership there too. Uh, so, store details worksheet. Whether you own one or you're doing due diligence on one, super useful to have all that information all in one place so you can access it quickly and easily when you need it. So you're not 
digging around trying to find model numbers and serial numbers and all that stuff. So anyway, store details worksheet, that's there for you. That's a resource that can help you get more organized and take your focus off of things that aren't going to help you move your business forward so that you can focus on those things that are going to help you take the next step. Cool. All right, guys. Well, uh, I'm ready to jump into it with Cameron with if you are. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into it with Cameron Clark and you're going to love it. All right, Cameron, how is it going, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Going fantastic. Oh, good. I am super pumped. Uh, I know that you and I and a couple other guys uh, did a webinar together a little while back. And after that webinar, I was like, I've got to have this guy on the podcast. Uh, you have you had a lot of really great things to say on that webinar, but you also have like a very unique uh experiencing a very unique kind of position in this industry that I'm really excited to hear about. But before we jump into all that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? So uh, my name is Cameron Clark. Um, I'm the owner of uh, Laundry Equipment Services, which is a distribution company, and Spy Laundromats, which is a uh, chain of laundromats, uh, both located within the Mid-Atlantic area of um, the East Coast, uh, obviously, uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, DC, Virginia, West Virginia area. Um, I'm second generation in the industry. My uh, Both my mother and father uh, started uh, our company back in the early 90s. And so I grew up from the time I was in diapers, you know, within laundromats and, and uh, learning hands-on. Yeah. Did they start the, uh, the laundromats or the equipment services or both? So actually, my grandfather and my father both came from the chemical side of the on-premise uh, industry with uh, Ecolab. And uh, out of a need for service with equipment, my father started um, the service company, you know, which grew into distribution. And then basically at the exact same time as when they built their first laundromat. And uh, throughout the 90s, they built and they had about uh, four or five laundromats and um, eventually sold those laundromats and moved on. Distribution grew and uh, need in certain areas grew for building and expanding uh, laundromats and tech, uh, testing out, you know, new technology and things like that. So, um, yeah, and here we are today. Here you are today. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, all right. So we got a second generation, almost kind of a third generation, although, you know, it sounds like your dad yes. and your grandpa did it together. Uh, so second generation, that's awesome. I mean, that is, uh, I mean, it's just, it's funny. I always like hearing how people kind of got in the industry and stuff. And there's, you know, very few people who I think are multi-generational in the industry. And a lot of people took weird paths to kind of get here. So it's pretty cool to have that perspective and have the multi-generational approach. So I'm excited to hear about the wisdom that you have gained uh, from, you know, your dad and your grandpa, and then also the wisdom you gained just from being in the industry yourself. Uh, so when did you kind of start on your journey in the industry? Did you, I mean, did you start like hey, so, I'm out of high school? I got laundromats and I'm working for the company or what? Well, it, my father likes reminding me of this. I think I was about 12 years old when I came to him and I said, uh, you know, th this is what I want to do and this is how I want to do it. And then I was probably 15, 16 years old coming out of high school. And I told my father that, uh, 
uh, listen, this company is not big enough for both of us. So we need to expand and we need to make some things happen. Um, I did go to college, came out of college. When I came back from college um, on the distribution side of things, I, I started from the ground up. My father, you know, um, you know, obviously, like I said, growing up in diapers uh, in the industry, I've, I've touched and done just about everything. Um, but I started from the ground up, you know, doing service work, repairing equipment, um, you know, then branching into, you know, uh, the service department, the parts department, growing our parts department, then getting into sales um, and then, you know, selling the equipment and then physically building the stores. And I mean, now what we do as a distributor, um, kind of offering soup to nuts, you know, whether it be uh, bringing in, you know, construction crew and doing the architect and the engineer work. Um, so, you know, um, started along those ways and grew, you know, over the years. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, that's awesome. I mean, it sounds like you just kind of learned it as you went and you, I mean, obviously you were learning as you were growing up, but then you kind of came in and had to kind of work, earn your way into the business. Uh, Like there wasn't room for both. There, there were opportunities and, you know, I took the opportunity and, and ran with it and grew it to the best I could. That's awesome. Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned that your dad and grandpa bought four or five laundromats and then sold them, but you have laundromats now. So how did that kind of play out? How did that take place? So about uh, roughly 10 years ago, I came back and um, uh, there was a need in a certain area for a laundromat. And it was... um, an underserved market, underserved area, nothing was really happening. So, you know, I had the idea that, you know, we need to put a laundromat in there and, um, you know, it, it, uh, to put equipment to offer a better solution for, you know, what was uh, needed to be done. And, uh, if, if there could be a form of halo effect to, um, try to raise up the quality of stores and, and the offering to the, to the immediate community, then fantastic. That started with the first store and then, you know, um, going into another two, three, four stores, then, you know, having individuals coming that were looking to retire or looking for an immediate exit of the industry. Hey, will you buy my stores or whatever the case is? And then it grew into um, as we grew our brand and our name and, and the quality of stores that we were doing, whether it was uh, for myself or whether it's for, you know, um, other store owners, uh, landlords and brokers were reaching out and saying, you know, we want you and we want your store coming in to our center and into this location. They saw the quality that we were doing and, and, um, they specifically wanted a laundromat for, uh, many benefits, but then they specifically wanted the quality that we were providing. Hey, that's awesome to have kind of build that reputation to where people are requesting you to build laundromats in their, in their spaces. What do you think it was uh, about you and your operation that was kind of attracting that kind of attention? Well, starting off at the beginning, um, I've, I've always made it a, a personal goal that I, I never want anybody to outwork me. Um, and so that hard work and the effort that we put in the blood, sweat and tears, you know, uh, I, I know that it's a common thing said, you know, and, and everybody has their own level of blood, sweat and tears that they put into their business. But I wanted to, to offer the best possible mousetrap that I, that I could, you know, whether it was a, a smaller 2000 square foot store up to a four or five, 6,000 square foot store beyond, I wanted to offer the best possible mousetrap. And with doing that, 
from the aesthetics of the store, I didn't want to leave any stone unturned. I mean, you know, from the aesthetics in the, in the flooring or the, the, the like lounge areas or whatever the case may be to wash dry fold services to the physical equipment, offering the best quality equipment, you know, 200 G equipment with, you know, uh, different cycle selections and payment options and things like that. I never wanted a scenario to where a customer or a large, uh, portion of the customer base would come in and say, this is nice, but I wish you had this or, um, you know, so in, in all honesty, uh, starting off, was it the most efficient way? Probably not, you know, in, in terms of the build out, was it, was it the most efficient? Probably not, but it was, um, it, it was a good experience uh, to learn what to do and how to do. And then uh, ultimately it built a portfolio to where when landlords or property managers or brokers or other store owners would come and say, you know what, I want that. And I, and I want it turnkey because, um, there's a lot of people that don't necessarily want to put in the blood, sweat and tears and be swinging a hammer themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I, I wrote down the quote that you just said. It was, I thought it was genius. I never wanted a customer to come in to one of my stores and say, this is nice, but I wish I had, it had this, right. right? Like I, I love that. I mean, I've never really kind of thought about that that way, but I, I love that. You know, when I bought, uh, bought my second store, you know, I was not thinking progressively like that. I was kind of thinking reactively, uh, as I was kind of fumbling my way through it, you know, and people would be like, ah, do you guys have an ATM? And after a few requests for an ATM, I'm like, oh yeah, like people need an ATM here. Like I should probably get an ATM in here. Right. And like, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, it kind of made me think of that where it was like, you know, they were walking in saying, oh yeah, this is nice. Cause I had put in a new equipment and I had done some renovations and stuff, but I wish it had an ATM, right. Or whatever the case may be. And, and, and there's, you know, uh, there's a delicate line to balance in terms of, okay, you know, I'm getting requests for certain things, but in reality, is it once a month? Is it, you know, is it worth making that change? And then also what is the return on that type of change? And, um, what I find is on the customer level, a lot of those things, it comes to the training and the education of the end user to where in our attended stores, um, you know, a, a big aspect of what we offer is the attendance training customers. And then what I find out is it's customers training other customers. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'll open up a, a new card store or something, say, and on grand opening, I'm there trying to, you know, help a customer out. Hey, this is how you use the system. And, you know, they put their hand up. Oh, no, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm used to this. I'm used to that that process. And then I find that that customer is teaching another customer. And the more that there is that, I mean, whether it be an ATM or something that somebody's requesting, if they know that there's a um, another option or, or a better way to do something, you know, then maybe you don't necessarily, I wouldn't need to put an ATM or whatever the case may be, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So how do you know, I mean, you know, how how do you know if, if the, if the returns are going to be there on any kind of specific change? I mean, cause there's a lot of different things, right? Like from size of machine to even, even what type of the same size of machine. Right. Uh, and you know, payment systems, you know, size of dryers. I mean, there's a lot of different decisions where, you know, you could be th- making some changes. Um, you know, and I, I hear a lot of talk about, you know, wanting, you know, everything's moving towards bigger machines, right? That's a pretty big change going from, you know, stores that used to be all top loaders to now we're throwing in 80, 120 pound machines into stores, mm-hmm. 
which was unheard of not that long ago. Um, and you know, this is a big change, but how do you know if the return is going to be there for some of these changes? So for myself personally, a lot of failure, you know, I mean, failing on, on, you know, taking the risk. I mean, you have to take the risk and I take risk on, um, I'm very aggressive in, in, in what I do. And normally when I make a decision, I jump in with both feet. I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily, uh, stay up at night thinking, you know, questioning myself about it. And I don't want to necessarily analyze the situation too long because by the time I analyze it too long, um, you know, the, the situation has already changed or, you know, a competitor or whatever the case may be within the marketplace, they've already made a decision. So taking the risk and, and, um, within reason, and then, um, over, you know, years of experience now, I've seen what has worked and what hasn't worked. And then especially now with new technology and new payment systems and things like that coming out, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll test it out. I'll check it out and I'll see what it offers and, and what it offers specifically over what I currently have. And then what it, um, how will it benefit the customer? So what the upfront cost is, but then also what the long-term, you know, uh, return is of that. How long is it going to take me? I'm going to put in $50,000 into a card system. And is it going to take me, you know, two, three, four years to return that. Um, and if I left it as coin or whatever system I already have in the store, how long is it going to take me to, uh, to recoup that, you know, or maintain? Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that requires, so, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people like in my coaching consulting and stuff who, you know, some people come into this, there's, there's a few different ways people try to come at this industry, right? There's, people like you who are building a business, right? And, you know, in order to kind of gather that data to be able to make those kinds of decisions, you have to run it like you're building a business. Then there's the other kind of side of the spectrum who are trying to just kind of put their money into an asset that's going to, you know, cash flow pretty decently. It's going to be relatively low maintenance uh, compared to most other businesses. Uh, and you know, it's that, that kind of mentality, not saying anything wrong about that mentality necessarily. Uh, but that kind of mentality is not going to give you the type of data that's going to help you, you know, make those decisions, generally speaking. Uh, so it's just kind of interesting to see the different ways that people approach this business, uh, and the different ways you run it. And, uh, man, I don't know. I'm kind of interested to see where our industry goes kind of going forward uh, because I see a lot more business owners uh, mm -hmm. and savvy business owners in this industry than I had in the past when I, even when I first got in the industry. Yeah, I would say, I mean, uh, there's more, what I would call, there's more white collar investors coming and, and looking to build a business, as you said, and own multiple stores and make the investment. I mean, because, um, there, there's still plenty that like you, like you said, um, they will, they will come and they will want to build it, you know, as an asset heavy investment and, you know, low maintenance and they build it. And it's like the field of dreams. I'll build it and they'll come, you know, and I don't have to do anything to it. And then what I find out is a year, two, three years later, half the machines aren't working because they haven't maintained it or uh, they're not maintaining training of their, their customers or the marketing or anything. And then the business is failing. So then they turn around in a short period of time and sell it. Well, then they can't sell it for the value that they put into it. So my recommendation is, is um, in any business, but in this business, especially for the level of investment that you're putting in, you know, a quarter, half, you know, a million dollars into this investment. 
that's a lot of money to, to do a hobby. You know, I mean, I'm, uh, in my free time, uh, I, I own a farm and my wife picks on me all the time. That's a very expensive hobby and uh, there, there's not a lot of return with it. So I can compare that to laundromats that, um, you know, you put that kind of money into equipment and, and, and build out. I, I recommend, you know, this, this is a business. You need to put time and energy into it. Yeah. So out of curiosity, I mean, cause I, again, I get this question a lot. I'm sure you do too. Uh, I mean, can somebody come in who, you know, wants to spend maybe 10 hours a week on the business? Can you run the business that way in, in your opinion and be successful? Yes, still? I, I think that there's, there, there's, uh, area, you know, time and place for just about every combination. You know, you mentioned before about, you know, the way that the industry is going and larger equipment going away from top loaders, things like that. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, you know, from what the most common, what the most turns on a, a given uh, capacity machine and how that has shifted on, you know, national average and how it's shifted going upwards. Um, without a doubt, that's a trend. But at the same time, there's still a, there's still markets and time and places for uh, thousand square foot coin operated stores. There's still, you know, 2000 square foot stores, unattended stores. There's still a need for that. You know, it all depends on where you're at. Um, I would not say that there is no, there is not a cookie cutter. Hey, it has to be a 4,000 square feet in this area, this specific demographic. It, it's, it's not black and white that way. There's a lot of gray area. And I think that that's one area that a lot of people fall short on is because of whatever research they've done or what they've heard or what they've seen or going and looking at other stores, they say, well, I have to have it this way. Not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't talk about this at all beforehand, but I'm glad you kind of say that because you know, I hear a lot of black and white one way or the other uh, a lot of times. And so, I, but it, you're right. It is kind of shades of gray there. And there's a lot of, it's kind of, it's one of the beautiful things about this industry, right? There's like a million for, especially for how simple this business is, relatively speaking, not easy, but simple. There's like a million different ways to make this thing go and, and actually run right. it. That's right. There, there's, there's a little bit of a science to it, you know, and, and you can cross over, you know, the area that I cover where I have stores. I mean, I can go from, you know, the state of Virginia to the state of Pennsylvania and it only takes me 45 minutes, you know, or an hour to go across two or three states and what is required and what it works in one state is completely different than works in this other area based on the demographic or what's available, what the, what the, the, the base rent is and, and, and the whole deal. Yeah. Well, now I feel like you're bragging because I can't even get the 18 miles from my house to LA in an hour. So <laughs> just just a little bit. We're here, two or three states. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, you're right. And I, I again, like that's one of the beauties of this of this industry. Um, okay, so I want to go back to you know when you guys are picking up that that first round, that first laundromat in the second round of owning laundromats, uh, and. You know, talk to me a little bit about that experience. I mean, first, you know, first go around, how did that go? What did that look like? Uh, you guys built that, was it a build out from scratch or was it a retool? What was it? It was, it was based, it was a build out from scratch. It was, it was a rough vanilla shell for lack of better words. Um, it was, uh, about a thousand, 1200 square feet. So a small store. And, um, I wasn't looking to necessarily make a big splash, but like I just said, um, it was a, I saw an area within a market and, and what the need was. And so we went in and in terms of uh, my experience with it, 
it was a great experience for me and I wanted to see it from beginning to end. I was physically laying tile. I was physically swinging hammers, putting walls up, running utility lines with the contractors and with the tradesmen. And I knew every square inch of that store from front to back, top to bottom and, um, and experienced, you know, the, 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 the pain and the blood that came along with it. So that, uh, a year, two years, five years from that point, I had better understanding of what was truly in my store. Um, it was a coin operated store and, um, you know, it was, uh, close to like a, uh, a, a small, uh, college, uh, a lot of rentals and, um, it worked out well. It was, um, you know, it, it was almost like a, a very large, uh, guest laundry, you know, for an apartment complex for, for lack of better words, but it worked out well. And then we were able to expand it. And then ultimately that location, um, after a few years, because of the need and people, uh, seeing that as a, as an option, I needed to expand that location. And then within that given town, that same town, I now own three laundromats and going from there, I've, you know, um, I don't mean to jump the gun, but, uh, in, in kind of sequence, I've gone from that, you know, thousand, 1200 square foot laundromat. And then within the town, I went and saw an opportunity and, you know, it, it was brought to me, went to a 2000 square foot location. And then ultimately now I own a 4,000 square foot location in that same town. Um, all three operate all different areas of the town and, you know, serve different purposes. Out of curiosity, how big is the town? Uh, within within city limits, it's roughly forty five thousand. Okay, within city limits. That's. I mean, so I, I don't. Maybe we could chat about this for a second. So you know, one of your one of the unique things about you is that you're an owner and a distributor, and so maybe you can kind of speak to this a little bit too. Um, but what one of the kind of the general rules of thumb? Okay, so people are always asking me like, how do I know? You know, if a laundromat you know, if an area can support a laundromat and a general rule of thumb that I throw out, maybe you can tell me if this is uh, right or wrong, but in very general uh, terms, just to kind of give people a figure to sort of work with and it can flex one way or the other. But I say it takes about 15,000 people or so to support, uh, to support a laundromat. Um, now supporting mm-hmm. a laundromat can mean a whole lot of different things, but right. very generally and roughly speaking, that's what I say. I don't know. Out of curiosity, do you have sort of a, a rule of thumb or, or a general rule of thumb like that? Uh, not so much. Okay. Honestly, my, yeah. and, and my opinion has, has changed drastically over the past five to 10 years because, you know, you, you, you go back and, and, and look at what the uh, norms were. Hey, it, ha- there, it has to be surrounded by, apartment complexes and it has to be a certain percentage of renter and, you know, traffic count, et cetera. I disagree. One of my best operating stores, um, everything to the east of it is John Deere tractor dealerships and cornfields, you know? So all my population is heading from two, three miles west of this location. And I have people driving 30 minutes to this given location. And it's only a small 2000 square foot store, but it's, it's generating seven, seven and a half turns a day on this location. And, um, one of the biggest things, and and I think, um, you know, it's going to come up later in our conversation is, is the marketing that we do and how I reach those people and how they, how they come. I mean, so, you know, 
Yes, there's still a large portion of the population that are using laundromats. That is, it's a transient population. So staying on top of those people rotating through. But then what I find in, in every single one of my stores, I don't care where it is, large, you know, a higher percentage renter or not, um, the vast majority they're driving and driving where or why? I mean, some people say, okay, do I need to build it by Walmart? Because that's where a large, a lot of people are coming to do their shopping. Sure. I mean, there's benefits to things like that, but then there's a lot of benefits to freestanding locations. There's a lot of benefits to, you know, other co-tenants like Dollar Trees and things like that. Um, it's, I, I, I don't necessarily think that there's a rule of thumb that you have to mold yourself into. I'm more along the, 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 the line of thinking that, hey, here's an available opportunity based on what is provided on the physical space and the location and what the lease and the landlord is willing to do. And based on that, can I make the numbers work? So I almost work backwards on that, um, going into a given layout and then a performer. And then what will I have to do to make that perform? And then I look at, can this area support those numbers? That was awesome. I'm like super psyched right now, but here's what I think is happening. Okay. The listeners are going to be in a dilemma here because I, and my wife tells me this all the time. I am a slow talker and you are just spewing (laughs) out so much good stuff. So fast. You're going to have to go back and listen through that again. I'll try to you know, pick out some stuff that we can kind of break down a little bit more. Uh, That's the goal. I'm trying to have people go back three and four times. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. That helps me out. Uh, no. So, okay. Um, one of the questions I have, okay. So do you factor in demographics at all in your, in your kind of analysis in your research? Oh yeah. Okay. Most definitely. What are you looking for in those demographics? And and with the caveat that, you know, this is probably going to vary to some degree by your region, your area, you know, all that. But what are you, what do you, yeah. in your area, what, what are you looking for <laughs> demographics wise? Well, um, without a doubt, I look at total population. I look at renter population. I do look at traffic count. Um, I look at uh, ethnicity. I look at um, uh, uh, income level. Um, and I mean, that, that's, that's some, you know, those are, those are the, the, the major points. I mean, I'll drill it down and look into, um, you know, uh, household size and I'll look at, you know, vehicles by household and different things like that. But, you know, uh, to tag on to a little bit of what I was saying earlier, you know, as far as the norm of, uh, hey, it, it's only people that are living in apartments and don't have a washer and dryer are using laundromats. Disagree with that wholeheartedly. You know, Wash Dry Fold has been, and when it is done well, has been fantastic. I have some customers um, or, uh, on the distribution side that I built stores for that are actually producing more on Wash Dry Fold and are doing it efficiently, which is is hard to find. I mean, one thing is, you know, uh, with the added thing, with the added uh, cost of labor, um, it's difficult to truly be profitable. Hey, I'm grossing a tremendous amount of money on Wash Dry Fold, yeah, but what is it truly costing you, and is it as efficient as you know, self-serve. Um, but you know, I look at, at, at total rooftops, you know, I, I look at total rooftops more than I look at renter population because there's a tremendous amount of, you know, uh, uh large families or, you know, soccer moms or, 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 um, you know, two household incomes that, you know, it, it makes time is, is, is one thing that you can't purchase. And one thing in today's, uh, world that is, is going by, so quickly. And if you can gain a little bit of time by dropping your clothes off and having it done for you, fantastic. Um, you know, so, um, 
And, and once again, the marketing to obtain that is is huge. Yeah, which I do want to get into, but do you mind? I mean, I got you here, and I think people are really going to be interested in kind of this demographics uh, thing because I get asked about this a yeah. lot. Can, can I just ask some specifics about kind of guidelines that you're using when you're looking at some of these things? So yeah, when you're definitely. looking at, you know, uh, for example, uh, renter population, are you looking for a specific percentage of renters that you're trying to hit or what, what, what numbers are you looking for? And what does that tell you about the area in terms of performance? Personally, I don't like going, um, if, if I'm seeing a renter population below 30 to 35%, I mean, if we're in the high 20s or below, um, then I need to find another reason on why I can make that location beneficial. I'm not saying it's 100% no. Um, I have built locations with sub 30% renter, but I've had to be able to overcome that with um, some other benefits. Um, but I would say that's kind of my bottom line. I mean, if it's above 35%, um, you know, I would say my sweet spot is, is um, you know, once again, depending on the area. Uh, I mean, if I'm in, if I'm looking at DC Beltway versus uh, like rural Virginia, um, I'm not, I'm not seeing the same thing, obviously. So I would say this sweet spot is somewhere between like 45 to 55. You know, I do have locations, uh, obviously in the more populated DC, Baltimore Beltway, Northern Virginia area. I have, uh, you know, I'm seeing locations and demographics that are 65, 70% renter, which is, which is fantastic within those given areas. But then also too, what does the competition look like? You know, what, what's the, what's the base rent, et cetera. So to answer your question, yeah, I mean, my sweet spot is kind of 45 to 55. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's helpful. Yeah. And, you know, again, always with the caveat that things change, but I think it's helpful to get some of these like kind of specific numbers or like, you know, ranges or something like that for people just to kind of give them a framework. So, you know, I talk to people who don't know if, you know, 5% is good or 95% is good. Like they, you know, because they just have no frame of reference. So it helps. but to be able to look at it and and then take that number. And if somebody's pulling a demographic and it's 40% renter, being able to talk with somebody and bounce that off of someone that has the experience and say, okay, what does this 40% mean? You know, hey, it's not within 45 to 55%. I'm going to cross it off. No, I got a 40%. What, what do I now have to do to make this 40% work? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, as you mentioned before, you know, even at that like 30, 35%, you know, maybe your self-service isn't going to be booming. Maybe it will, but maybe it won't. But there's other opportunities, especially now, you know, I mean, wash, dry, fold. Yes. And especially now as more and more people are starting to dip their toe in the water with pickup and delivery. Mm -hmm. um, And those options are starting to increase. Um, as to, you know, how you can get into that business a little easier to, to see if it's something that you want to do. Uh, and, and all of a sudden your radius kind of expands out and the demographics that you reach, uh, expand out also. So that, you know, cause that 30 to 35% renter, some of them may be your wash, dry, fold and your pick up and delivery customer, but probably the other half of that, you know, that, that percentage, the, the homeowner kind of side of things that might be more, uh, you know, more likely to use those services sometimes. So that's right. 
And I also too keep in mind, I'm looking at radiuses once depending on the area that I'm in. Um, if it's more rural, I'm looking at one, three, five mile radius. And I, there's times I might even go out to seven mile radius. But then if I'm in a more densely populated area, I might be at half a mile, mile and a half, three mile, you know, or, excuse me, less than three mile. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I say too, you know, I have a laundromat in South LA and one on the border of East LA and, you know, that, especially that South LA one, like my radius is a half mile. There's six or seven other laundromats within a mile radius of my laundromat. Right. And it's like, you know, I, nobody's going to pass like five laundromats to get to my laundromat, no matter how great it is really. Yeah. Uh, so, but to do do the work and, and, and have that knowledge of, 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 you know, an understanding of the area, you know, is, is important. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So what about, uh, um, I mean, you mentioned income level, how does that translate to, uh, you know, to, to what you're looking for? Uh, in there? <laughs> well, I mean, growing up within this industry and, and just over the years, you know, I, I've, you know, it's, it's something that, that I've heard. And, and, and I think that there's some belief to it, that there are demographics and, and, and a portion of income level that is, for lack of better words, too low to use a laundromat. You know, if they had a choice to buy food or clean their clothes or buying food. Um, and then there's also a, uh, on the high side of that is if you're looking at an income level that is quite high, um, you know, they, they, they're doing a laundry service or they're, you know, or they have somebody doing the laundry for them or they have their own equipment or whatever the case is on a more average basis. And they're not going to come and do self-serve. But, uh, once again, I, you know, I take that in an evaluation of understanding, okay, for instance, once again, uh, uh, the given area within my immediate market is, I'm, you know, I will go down somewhere to 25,000, you know, on a low end side. Um, uh, you know, I'd like to go as low as like 45,000, but then go upwards of 100, 125,000 for a household. I mean, because once again, if I'm Northern Virginia outside DC Beltway, $125,000, that's, that's not a significant amount of money for a household, you know? So, uh, but if you're in a rural area, 125,000, that's quite wealthy, you know? So have an understanding of where you're at. Um, but are, you know, if how high of a percentage of that income level is within that demographic and how is that going to affect the turnout for both self-serve or any other services that you're using? Yeah. And those kind of, uh, you know, brackets, if you will, can also help you dictate what kind of services you should offer, right? Like if you're, if you're in that, you know, 35% renter market, well, I mean, yeah, you can have, you could make a, a laundromat work there and you may or may not make a killing on the self-serve side, but that wash, dry, fold and or pickup and delivery could do really well there depending on what the rest of the demographics say. Right. So that's right. And that's why I don't like putting hard, you know, ranges and say it's this or nothing, mm-hmm. you know? No, I mean, you could, you could be a little bit more strict with it based on how your process and operation is. If you are a strictly unattended uh, self-serve only. Okay. Then be a little bit more strict on, on what your demographic numbers look like. But if you're going into this as a business and you just want to, you want to maximize the opportunity of a laundromat Mm -hmm. and you're willing to bend in one direction or another to figure out what it takes to produce income, Mm -hmm. then you can open that range up a little bit. 
Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Uh, okay, man. Awesome. Awesome talk on demographics and going kind of general there. Okay. So let's go back to your, you, you built out this, uh, your first laundromat, uh, you were in there swinging the hammer, laying the tile, all that stuff. Uh, how, I mean, how did that one do when you, when you finally opened it? Quite well, quite well. It, I mean, unattended coin operated store starting off, um, you know, had just a cleaner come in, you know, once a day type of thing. Um, and it did well. It was a, um, like I said, it was, it was kind of like a, a large glorified, uh, you know, uh, guest laundry, you know, for an apartment complex type of thing. Um, but it was, uh, it did well, we expanded. And then, um, over time we, um, you know, upgraded the equipment, you know, 200 G different controls, things like that, uh, to benefit and maximize the utilities because the, the demand was there. So we decreased our expenses. We increased our revenue. We increased vent prices. We went in, you know, a few years later and we put in an additional, you know, um, uh, payment option. So now we have the ability for phone app, credit card, and coin. Um, and it's one of the areas in that size store to where it's not, um, I, I wouldn't recommend for myself in that store in that area to do like a full card store. So we offer kind of the best of both worlds. And with that, we were able to maximize um, what we could truly fit in and the turns per day and the total, uh, you know, customer count. So, um, yeah, it did well. And then we got to a point with that store, even expanding it and making those changes to where um, we, we, we somewhat maxed it out, uh, but it wasn't worth necessarily. I couldn't continue expanding it. So then I made the decision of we need to go add another one, you know, uh, in, in a different area of the town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, did that impact the business of the first one at all when you did that? Not at all. Okay. Uh, and so when you added the other one, did you build that one out from scratch? Did you buy it, take it over, retool it? How, what did that look yes. like? Yes. Yeah. No. So on that second one, I actually, um, we bought the, the, the building. It was a small strip center and, um, you know, a couple, couple renters within it, you know, uh, pizza shop, you know, uh, hair salon, that type of thing. And, um, it was, it was an older building. We went in, we, we gutted it, uh, turned it into a laundromat and taking experiences and some of the things that we learned in the first location going into the second location, we put that into action. So, you know, we went in with, you know, like a higher level of equipment and, and payment options and things like that. But then also we learned on, uh, you know, I'll say like the science of flow, the flow through the store in terms of where we put the washers and dryers and how that relates to where the, the, the folding tables are and, um, you know, how to get people in quicker and, and, and out the door, uh, quicker rather. Um, because at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, especially when you start getting your turns up and you're maxing out the, the space. It's all how quick you can get the person out of the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very uh, restaurant style esque, you know, of trying to, yeah, right. you know, get them in, get them what they need and, you know, get them out kindly and gently get them out as fast get as them out. That's right. <laughs> Make room for the next person. That's right. uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that throughput's a huge, a huge one. I think it's, pretty overlooked. Like I didn't even hear of that word until maybe like two years ago, like in, in our industry. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm assuming other people, you know, knew about it and all that stuff, but personally me, I didn't even, I never even considered it. And I have one of those, like uh, almost 
bowling alley esque. My first laundromat, it's got dryers all on one wall, and then there's kind of fingers that stick out of the other wall with you know, right. Which I I hate that design, by the way. But uh, <laughs> talk about throughput. It's like traffic jam mm-hmm. central, and people can kind of you know I don't know. People do shady things when you can't really see them because they're in corners. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. So anyway, no, I think that I think yeah. that was a thing. You know, five ten years ago, um, I don't even really think that it was much of a thought in most areas that throughput. And then when you know you started getting inverter controls and machines and and higher extraction levels and and, and different options for customers, then all of a sudden uh, you know people started realizing, oh wait a second, I can really reduce my utility bills. Oh, at the same time. It's taking less time to, you know, launder a load of clothes and also then dry a load of clothes because of the extraction rate or whatever the case is. I can't tell you, you know, it, it the first time I ever heard uh, at a store that I built, um, you know, uh, down outside D.C., um, it was it was grand opening and literally a customer came in, first customer came in, they used the washers, used the dryers, and they were like done and loading up and and leaving in like 45 minutes. And what blew me away about it was the customer, as he's pulling the clothes out, he's calling like all of his family members and friends and saying, you won't believe this. I'm getting out of here in under an hour. Hurry up and get down here. You know, that was the biggest thing for him. And there was, you know, five laundromats within a mile of this location. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing is I'm getting in and out and it's a chore, you know, it's a chore and I hate doing it, but I'm getting it done quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Rip the bandaid off. I had a customer who'd come in every single, I forget what day of the week it was, but this, this, I think it was like a Thursday or something, every single Thursday, uh, exactly one hour before close. And he's like, I do this because, uh, I can get in and out in an hour and, you know, having that close time, you know, helps them, you know, stay motivated to get them switched and everything. But I mean, that's yeah. the, whole, that's the whole thing, right? Like if you can get them in and out in under an hour, man, that is, uh, you know, that's awesome. And obviously, you know, the, the wash, dry, fold, the pickup and delivery even quicker and even more yeah. convenient. Uh, but you know, they're paying for it. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all a matter of what their priorities are. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I think that's, you know, it's one of the many, I think, kind of concepts that's infiltrating our industry right now to where, you know, we as a whole, as an industry are beginning to be a little more sophisticated in the way that we think about the business, um, I'd say over the last five, 10 years or so. Um, and I, I think agree. the rate of that sophistication or that savvy is increasing uh, more and more rapidly all the time, which is pretty cool to see. It's a good time to be in the industry, I think. Correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, even like, like you said, as far as like paying for the convenience of wash dry fold, one quick example is I have customers, you know, and and even myself uh, that are charging multiple levels of pricing for wash dry fold um, based on whatever convenience level. Hey, we wash it. We, shove it in a bag at this price. We wash it dry, shove it in a bag at this price. That's something that, you know, up until a few years ago, at least in my area was unheard of, you know, and that, that is a level of sophistication that I think that is something that, you know, can, can change things within this industry. Literally. I just had an interview with the podcast guest. It'll probably come out before this one, actually, uh, who, uh, this is literally the, I don't know how this happened. This is literally the first time I ever heard of wash dry bag. And he, yeah, yeah, he basically was just saying, Hey, we'll wash it dry and just throw it in the bag without the folding. And I was like, that's genius. Like I personally wouldn't even mind 
sitting in the laundromat doing wash dry bags. It's super easy to just throw stuff in the washer, let the washer sting and switch it to the dryer and then shove it in a bag. That's super easy and quick. That's right. And that folding, you know, for wash dry fold and pickup and delivery, that folding is the thing that takes up the labor, takes up the time, consumes those resources. So if you can charge a little less for the wash dry bag and cut out that folding piece, man, that is, that's That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. How, how long was it between that first store and that second store? Just out of curiosity. About a year, year and a half. Okay. Yeah. So you had enough time in there to, uh, really kind of gather some data and be able to make mm-hmm. good decisions when you picked up that second, st- second store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so you mentioned that that first one was originally coin only, and then you started adding some payment options and you kind of made sort of like a, a passing comment about, you know, for, for this store, you know, the hybrid option basically where you offered both card and coin options for, for payments uh, oh. is the best of both worlds. What's your, what's your kind of take on the whole card versus coin versus hybrid. I see a lot of people debating it and I, you know, I, I personally am kind of a, you know, it depends kind of guy, uh, mm-hmm. which can be frustrating, but uh, just out of curiosity, like, you know, what are you seeing in terms of payment payment systems? What's, what's the best way to go? Depends a hundred percent. I mean, there, there, there's, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of factors. I mean, I have stores that are, I, I would say I don't have any 100% coin stores anymore. All my, all my, Coin stores are hybrid now, um, coin and card to, to some level. And then um, my larger stores, more populated stores um, are 100% card, you know, and um, ease of operation. And, you know, let, let, let's be honest, you get to a few stores, the the coin aspect collecting and, and, and changing is that's very labor intensive. And it's also um, a security situation, you know, just taking that to the bank or whatever, uh, we're swapping it. Um, so uh, the larger the stores, the more populated, the more cash, things like that, anything that we can do to um, drive them more towards credit or the more that we can do to consolidate it within, you know, a kiosk, you know, the better. Yeah, I like that. And I think, you know, in even even in the hybrid stores, I always kind of recommend uh, like consulting clients like, hey, if you got a hybrid store, figure out ways to incentivize the card 100%. system because not only is it yeah. easier for you, uh, but it's going to give you a lot more data to help you make better decisions. I mean, there's just like a whole list of benefits to to go in that route, um, mm-hmm. and eventually, if you can kind of merge it all over to the card, uh, all the better. Um, just because, I mean, like you said, if you're looking to scale at any kind of scale, uh, I mean, it's just really, really difficult to do that with, you know, coins coming in and out of your stores. Um, and yeah, without a doubt. ever more so difficult as coin shortages and, and whatnot are still mm-hmm. kind of lingering around. Um, do you have any, like, uh, do you have any tips of say, for example, I'm trying to figure out you know, should I offer coin hybrid card system or, or maybe just between hybrid or I, mean, I guess any of them really <laughs> any tips to help me decide. Uh, so kind of like the, the initial, you know, for lack of a better rule of thumb, but I, I've already told you, I'm, I'm not a big rule of thumb guy. Um, but I kind of look at 2000 square feet, 2,500 square feet 
and and up, I'll consider doing full card based on the area, based on the demo and 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 what's around, um, you know, competition, et cetera. Um, beneath that, uh, I, I won't put a, a full card system in. Just the the cost per unit is uh, there, there's not a decent return on it. So I'll I'll probably do hybrid on you know two thousand and under. Um, but once again, it, it it varies based on the location, and also it, it's very important to for me to build the best mousetrap out there. Um, so what can I do to stay ahead of the curve? Uh, so when you say hybrid, there's a couple of different ways to do hybrid, right? There's every machine can have coin except coin and card, uh, and then there's also you know some machines only accept coin and some machines can accept coin and card or only card or whatever. So how, how are you setting those up? It sounded to me, you know, when you were saying that, like you only put card readers on certain machines, is that how you're doing it? So myself personally, in my stores, I do uh, coin and card on every machine um, just for simplicity purpose. And, you know, the, the scalability, you know, like you mentioned going into other stores, it's just simpler, easier for me to operate that way. Um, I do recommend, you know, and, and more so it's, it's more on the, um, uh, entry level cost and, uh, the financial aspect for a customer. If I'm building a store for them, um, I will let him know that there's the option to put it on every other machine, you know, maybe put it on a couple twenties, couple forties, couple sixties, you know, certainly have it on the larger machines, the eighties and hundreds and things like that. Definitely have it on those on the dryers, you know, maybe put it on all the, the, the lower pockets, you know, type of thing. Get uh, gets, <laughs> yeah. Get some use out of the lower pocket machines, um, incentivize them, you know, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that's an option, but I would say to go that route, the only reason that I would go that route and, and do it on, on certain machines is just for, you know, budget purposes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, and that's, that's, uh, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I think a lot of people get kind of stuck with like, man, I'd love to add a card system, but it's, you know, X amount of dollars per machine, or it's going to be this, you know, many tens of thousands of dollars to do, you know, my whole store. And I just not sure if I can foot the bill or if it's going to be worth it or yada, yada, yada. Uh, but just hearing someone like you say, Hey, you know what? You can put it on some machines. You don't have to put them on every machine all at once. Um, and just kind of, you know, give people oh, that yeah. option on certain machines. And then, you know, down the line, if it's catching, you know, catching fire there and it's, it's the same thing, even with the, with the machines themselves, based on, you know, if somebody comes to me and Cameron, I, I only have this budget. Okay. Well, based on this budget, this is what we need to look for within this area square footage wise. There's times that, you know, um, certain stores are built out to accept additional machines, but maybe we only put in half or three quarters of the machines starting off and then add the physical washers and dryers as they go. And as they increase, because whether they're concerned about the risk of putting that out there or that it's not going to be used or whatever the case is, if that helps them, same thing goes with the payment system. Can I just take a quick pause for a second? Can you tell me what areas you service and your distributorship real quick? Uh, state of Pennsylvania, De state of Delaware, Maryland, District of Columbia, Virginia, and West Virginia. Okay. I just, I wanted to pause because what you just said is the kind of distributor that I think I, I want to connect people with, right? So if you're in those areas, you know, I'm going to, 
I'm going to give Cameron a chance at the end here to, to let you know how to get a hold of him. But like, you know, hearing distributors say, Hey, I'm not going to try to sell you a jam packed full store. You know, sometimes, you know, if, it, if, if that's the way you got to go, we're going to fill in half and or three quarters with the machines that, you know, you can afford right now and leave room for the rest later uh, as you need them. But like, I just, I'm thinking back to my personal experience with my distributors that I've had and, you know, the nightmares <laughs> until, yeah, the nightmares until recently. Right. And yeah. I've met good distributors and I've seen the difference that it can make, uh, man, I just, uh, man, like if, if I would have had a distributor like you who, you know, would have told me something like that, uh, you know, that just would have instilled a lot of trust in me. And that's the kind of person that I want to work with, you know, who's going to take care of me. So I, I prefer, you know, when, when there's, when there's people that say, once again, back to the, you know, the rules, Hey, it's this square footage. It has to be loaded with this. We need to maximize this. Don't get me wrong. You pay rent for every square foot. So you want to maximize it out to a certain extent, but uh, you know, once again, it comes down to, you know, your comfortability with the level of risk, your budget and everything. I would prefer both for me and for the customer, let's be a deal maker here. Let's not, you know, stick within these strict lines of black and white or whatever. Um, and, and, and let's see what can work. I mean, I have plenty of people that come to me and say, Hey, Cameron, you know what? I just got my tax return back. I got 5,000 bucks in my pocket. I want to build a laundromat. Okay. Well, you know, um, there's some things that are going to have to happen and we'll consult with them. Hey, I recommend if this is what you want to do, this is how you get started. So it's not, once again, it's not, you know, black and white jam pack your store full of equipment card system on everything. It's not, not for everybody, not for every store. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's both the ability and the willingness to appreciate the nuance of every situation that I think makes a good distributor, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're willing to kind of take the time and say, okay, if this is what we're working with, you know, space wise or budget wise or demographics wise, or, you know, whatever the case may be, right. This is what we're working with. What's the best way to make this, you know, maximize this business for you as, you know, as my customer like that, the distributors I work with early on didn't take the time or put in the effort to appreciate the nuance in my situation. And I paid the price for it, not them. Uh, it, but you know, See, what? You're, you're one of the lucky ones though, because the, the way I look at it is if you fail on that first door, you're not coming back to me for a second one, you know? Well, so and, you're one and, of the lucky ones to make it through that. Well, I know. And, but that's what I was going to say is like, now look at, I'm talking to people who are looking to buy laundromats and equipments all the time. And if those guys had taken care of me early on, you better mm-hmm. believe they'd be making a whole lot more money than they stiff me out of, right. For, for selling that's right. they didn't need. So that's right, uh, man, they're lost. And that's why I am like on a, uh, I'm on like a, a hyper-focused hunt for people like you and other people that have been on the podcast and that I've met uh, who are who have that bigger mindset in mind, right? It's like, hey, take care of the people and make sure that they succeed because when they succeed, you succeed, right? And, right. and the reality yeah. of the situation is you might have more to gain in the short term by selling somebody a more equipment than they need or bigger equipment than they need or whatever. Um, but in the long term, if you can have that mindset, 
you're going to be more successful when you help your customers be more successful. It's it's Uh, a partnership. Yeah. And the distributors I work with didn't have that mindset. So, uh, so, all right, cool. Uh, all right. So you did a, uh, a a couple of laundromats and then how many do you have right now? 11. You have 11 laundromats. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. We're we're actually, we're wrapping up our 11th right now. It, It should be opening within the next 60 days. Okay, man. All right. I love that. Uh, all right. So you got 11 that you've knocked down. And uh, I mean, how like how quickly between all these, you know, we're not going to go through all these deals together, but just... No, I mean, so the, the, the first one to number two was year, year and a half. And then two to three. I mean, I would say after each one, the time between the two, start, between each started reducing and reducing. And I mean, last year alone, I, I opened three. You know, so um, it's it's using and then, you know, and, and we can touch on it here in a little bit, but it's it's also then having the financial relationships and knowledge and, and, and information to be able to take two stores into three and then three stores into four and things like that and using the equity within the stores and, and, and rolling things over. And then also too preparing yourself for your operation, because it's a lot different, you know, running one store than three and then three stores and seven, you know, um, the amount of personnel, you know, managers, things like that. So it was, it was a bit of a snowfall, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that was going to be my question is, can we, I mean, we don't need to go into a ton of detail, uh, but can we talk just a little bit about like, what does it take to scale up to 10, 11 laundromats from, you know, from that first one? If there's somebody listening who, you know, maybe has one or two and wants to get to that point, like, what does it take to get to these different levels? Willingness for a lot of risk, I would say, uh, first off, but then um, a good relationships. Um, you know, a, a, a tip I would have is, is having a good relationship with a, your insurance agent, with your attorney, with a fantastic broker. I mean, you know, there's a lot of brokers out there and like, uh, you know, like you've had bad experiences with distributors. There's, there's a, there's brokers out there that can provide you bad experiences as well. I've had so, bad experiences with brokers too. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and, and quite frankly, that might even be easier, but um, so having and building a great relationship with a broker, who's going to be constantly looking to help and have the realization that he's going to see succeed when you succeed. So he's going to be bringing you good locations and things like that and working and fighting on your behalf to give you the proper deals. So having that, but then also having a, a fantastic financial relationship that with a, a banker who you can go to and he can review your information, review your stores and say, Hey, you know what? Hey, uh, you are prepared and ready to go into another store. Let's work on it. Let's see what it takes and then educate you along the way. And, um, help you be able to take the equity and run from three into four, et cetera. So putting that team together is a big deal going from a few stores. I mean, you can do a few stores on your own. Once you start getting into half a dozen to 10 stores or beyond, you have to have a team. And then internally, you obviously have to build your internal team as well of management and maintenance and, and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. At what point did you bring on like a, or, or did you uh, uh, like managers or a manager to help you manage multiple locations? I would say about store number three. 
three. You know, store number three um, was when we we brought on a, a manager because it also it varies based on the size of the store and what is required at each store, and are they attended or are they not? Because is that manager overseeing scheduling of attendance or are they just you know overseeing a cleaner coming in for a couple hours? So, and then as we started building larger stores and more attended stores, then it required more store managers and more, you know, a, a regional manager type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you started adding sort of that, the layers of, of management mm-hmm. there too. Uh, I mean, when did you, when did you go to the regional manager? Store seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are there, uh, are there like, unique challenges like did it what did it change when you brought on that first manager like for you as sort of the the architect of this business like how did your role shift when that manager came on along the same lines of uh, you know any business i mean you know i've experienced it like in the distribution side but then on the laundromat side you know the the levels of growth i mean there there's uh building stress and 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 requirements and responsibilities uh pain points you know until you hit a ceiling and then once you make a decision um to you know for instance hire a store manager you break through that ceiling and some of those responsibilities those day-to-day responsibilities come off of you you know in terms of communicating with you know whatever the case is uh, 10 attendants now you have a, a store manager or whatever that is relaying back to you and you're working with them and then you're reviewing the financials you know on a more regular basis um so i mean going through those those breaking through those ceilings and having those different growth levels um and it builds up i mean there's not just one you continue to 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 uh, excel i mean as long as you're growing your business and as long as you're adding more stores and and things like that yeah yeah awesome i mean, i appreciate you sharing that stuff because i think you know it's different skill set right when you start to b- scale to that that size and you start bringing on more employees and then you start bringing on management and then you start bringing on regional manager to manage management and your role continues to shift and you have different skills that you needed to develop uh, in order to be able to help your business evolve like that. Right. And that could be a little bit, I mean, I don't hear people talking about that in our industry very often because frankly, not that many people have 10 plus laundromats in our industry. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's some, but not mm-hmm. that many, I would say, uh, have 10 plus laundromats. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. But I think a lot of people aspire to that. So I appreciate you sharing. Sure. That. Uh, yeah. all right. One more thing that I want to hit, uh, before we jump to, uh, our next section of down to business is, uh, marketing. I mean, we've brought it up a few times. Um, <laughs> you've mentioned it a few times. So can you talk to me uh, a little bit about marketing. What kind of marketing are you doing? What kind of marketing are you seeing working? Uh, how do we kind of architect the the marketing side of our business? So I think in general, marketing is a drastically uh, forgotten about unused area um, of our industry when it comes to the store level. I mean, across the board, but when it comes to the store, you know, and, and a first time store owner opens their store, they may, they may hit the ground running hard for, you know, the first 30, 60, 90 days or whatever, you know, having mailers or, and, and whatever the case, they may build a website, they may, you know, do a couple of things on social media, but then just like, you know, brushing your teeth or, or on a diet or whatever the case is, you have to continually 
stick to it. And then it's quick, uh, like a diet is quick for people to fall off of it. And then when you do, then you come back a year or two and Hey, well, what happened? You know, my, my, my level of growth has, has plateaued out. So, um, you know, you mentioned before about like the, uh, you know, scaling and, and adding different layers within a business, you know, it was, um, you know, I've had, I outsourced my marketing, uh, at the beginning, you know, for the first few stores, I outsourced my marketing. Then, um, I brought in basically in-house, uh, part-time marketing, you know, um, per se store, you know, four through six. And then therefore, and then after that, I brought in full-time marketing all day, every day, full-time nonstop marketing for all my stores, because every store, every area requires something different. You know, um, I, you know, for example, I do, you know, billboards in certain areas. There's some areas that it's a waste of money, you know, in some areas I do uh, radio ads and it, it's fantastic. In other areas, it, it hasn't been a good response, waste of money. I try to drill down on the individual store, the demographic and, and what works. I mean, if I'm in an area that is heavy Hispanic, you know, I go to um, the Hispanic grocery and find out the Hispanic newspaper or magazine or, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the local churches or whatever the case may be and market specifically and targeted to that. Um, and then, you know, online, I, it, it's my biggest goal. If I could give anybody any recommendation and I know it sounds simple, and I know it sounds easy, but it's a thing that's forgotten a lot. If, if I'm going myself, if I'm going to search for anything, a restaurant or whatever, I pull up my phone and restaurants near me or whatever the case is for a laundromat. I don't care what size it is, unattended, attended, anything, uh, what town it's in, how rural or how populated the town may be. Uh, you want a customer to pull up their cell phone and type in laundromat near me. And you're the first one that comes up. Yep. That is, that is the number one thing for any of my stores across the board. So Google and, and web presence and social media presence, that is the most important thing for me. Um, don't get me wrong. I still spell in, you know, it, it's, I have a marketing calendar for, uh, uh, across my business. I, I break it down by, you know, what are our yearly goals and what we're trying to obtain and what we're bringing on board, new stores or whatever. And then I break it down by quarter. Then I break it down by month and then I break it down by week. And then within that given week, what are we targeting and how are we targeting? What are we doing on social media? What are we doing? Um, you know, uh, whether it be print, whether it be mailing, whether it be billboard, whether it be radio. Um, but one thing that is consistent across the board throughout is online presence. Yeah. Okay. That was really good. And I think you're absolutely right that marketing <laughs> is the, I wouldn't even say the forgotten stepchild it's, of our, I mean, it's it's just, it was just never there. Right. And, but I yeah. think, I think number one, Owners are beginning to appreciate more and more the importance of marketing, uh, especially as, you know, everything's getting more and more competitive. There's bigger stores going in, there's more equipment going in, there's, uh, you know, more sophisticated people coming into our industry and, you know, competition can be high depending on your area. Right. And so, uh, I mean, I think people are starting to see the importance of the marketing side of things. But uh, I mean, kind of going back to our earlier discussion, right? Like you need to treat your marketing like 
a business treats their marketing, right? Like, uh, I mean, yeah, like I know a lot of owners who are doing marketing online who are, you know, they, you know, they throw, you know, 50 or hundred bucks or whatever and Google ads or Facebook ads, which, you know, not necessarily anything wrong with that. If it's providing you some results, um, you know, but you know, I, I, I mean, I love that you mentioned sort of your, uh, like you have a marketing calendar. Like, I don't know too many other owners that have a marketing calendar for their laundromat businesses, right? Like, uh, you know, so- one of the biggest reasons is it holds me accountable and I need that throughout the year. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to have a discussion in, you know, November about, uh, oh, wow, we haven't done any marketing this year. You know, yeah. and, and one, and one of the things as well with the, the, the marketing is being targeted with it and, and understand the return that you're going to get back from it. Because, uh, I can't tell you how many times somebody comes and just like you said, Hey, I, I put $50 in, in Google ads. Okay. Well, what did that do for you? Oh, well, mm-hmm. I mean, I did my marketing. I, I paid, you know, $300 for, you know, a handful of mailers. Well, that what happened with it? Did you get, you know, was there a call to action? Did they return it? You know, did you put a code on it for them to use on your machine or whatever the case is, bring wash, dry, fold coupons in. Um, and you can't just, it's not just throwing money at it and, and thinking that it's going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, I mean, that's what makes online marketing beautiful, right? If you utilize it is that it's generally a lot easier to track. Um, and, you know, kind of going back to, you know, tracking, tracking those numbers and stuff, it can't, uh, uh, another benefit of the card system, right. Is that it's easier to track some of these promotions and stuff using the card system than it is with coins. If, if it's for a self-service, you know, thing, if it's for wash, dry, fold or pick up delivery, then hopefully whatever software you're using should, you know, hopefully allow you to put in coupon codes or something like that to track That's that. Huge. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, man, getting, you know, determining the return on your investment of that, those marketing dollars, uh, is it's, it's crucial. It's critical because people will just not just in our industry, but I, you know, all over the, I have tons of entrepreneur friends and, and stuff who just throw marketing dollars to, against the wall to see what sticks, right? And end up wasting yeah. a lot of money. Um, and I would say too, you know, if you're using a marketing firm, you should be getting some information from them, some reports from them as to how, you know, how your ads are performing and how that's translating into revenue for your business. Um, accountable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I love, you know, the, the marketing, you know, calendar, you know, you said it holds you accountable, but probably just as, if not more important, hold your marketing person accountable now. And it makes, yeah. And it gives you tangible things to point to and makes it, I would assume I'm, I'm making a lot of assumptions right now, but I would assume makes it a little easier, a little simpler for you to be able to see the performance of your marketing person and also to, you know, make sure they're doing what they need to be doing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So awesome. No, because we can, we can correlate it when, when I go over with, you know, my accounting staff, you know, what the marketing calendar, what we did, how we did it. And then immediately looking at the, the, the revenue from the given stores and see what matched up and how it worked. Yeah. Which is Awesome. And another benefit of having kind of multiple stores, you get sort of more data there and you can see what's working in what locations. And then, then you can ask the question, why, 
you know, right? Like, why did that work here? And will that translate here? And if not, okay, what's going to work over here? And I mean, all of a sudden you can build a pretty good marketing machine if you're That's paying right. attention to all that stuff. Uh, awesome. Uh, when you say online stuff, are you running ads like Google, Facebook, anything else? Are you doing yes. any of that stuff or are you doing all organic stuff? Uh, we do a tremendous amount of organic. I mean, we focus a lot on organic. We do some ads. Um, and once again, we're reviewing that on a weekly and monthly basis to see what's working and what's not. And are we truly, cause you can quickly dump money down the drain with that. Um, so we review that and see what works. And then, um, we do do social media ads. Um, and then, you know, we, we play a little bit, you know, still with, uh, with Bing and, and, um, you know, Yahoo and all that. And, um, you know, some of the other, like uh, Yelp. And um, I think uh, I can't remember some of the other companies, but there's some other smaller things that even if it's just picking up a small percentage, but then maybe the cost is significantly less, then it may be worth using it. So um, across the board, I mean, our, our primary source so online is, is Google and organic or Google. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's awesome. And are, I mean, do you guys keep social accounts for all of your laundromats, do you have one kind of branded across? One, because um, all all 11 stores are branded the same as a chain under one. We have uh, one website, you know, with all locations on it. And then uh, all of our social and uh, advertising accounts um, are all under one. Now I do break up. So the, um, you know, the Google listings, the location, the location listings and all the work we do obviously are broken down by location. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I mean, I think that's, Awesome information for, for people. I'm hoping as this topic kind of keeps coming up on the podcast and, you know, on YouTube videos and stuff like that, that more and more people will see just how like vital this is. And I think it's only going to become more important uh, as we go forward. And I think it's critical if you're running wash, dry, fold or pick up and delivery, like you have to be marketing uh, to get that oh, both kind of organic and paid, I would say probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. Okay. That was a lot that we went through right now and you're a fast talker. So we got through like double, uh, <laughs> even though I was trying to slow us down with my, my talking here. Uh, all right. We got a section of the podcast called down to business. Uh, let's get down to business over and out. And that's where we just kind of get to know your business a little bit, but I thought it'd be cool if we could kind of hear a little bit about your businesses, but then maybe also hear a little bit about, I mean, since you're a distributor and you get to see, you know, a whole lot of different locations and what's working in different places, you know, what, what's happening in your area with that. Uh, All right. So, I mean, first question, remind us again, what areas are your laundromats in and then what areas do you service for your distributorship? So, uh, areas service for distributorship is Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, DC, Virginia, West Virginia. Location for laundromats are, um, Pennsylvania, Maryland, uh, Virginia, West Virginia. And primarily, um, within about a, from the furthest north to the furthest south, within about an hour, a little over an hour between all of them, um, you know, give and take a little bit. And, um, my stores uh, specifically are uh, more, you know, rural, 
you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not dealing with, I'm dealing with small towns. Like I said, I mean, the, uh, the, you know, the biggest town that I have a store in that I own is probably, I don't know, probably pushing, uh, 60, 65,000 in, you know, a one mile radius. Um, but you know, the primary source on the distributor side of things is we're building stores, Baltimore, DC, Northern Virginia, up into Pennsylvania, Delaware, all over. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's a pretty good spread. You got there. Like I said, takes me about an hour just to get to LA sometimes more. <laughs> I, I, I still, I spend a lot of time in my truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So you have, you're, you're about to fling open the doors on number 11 for your laundromats, right? And yes, that's correct. How long, how long, uh, how long ago again? Did you, uh, well, let's uh say, so get, how long ago again did you buy your, or build your first laundromat. How about that? It's been about 10, 10 years, 10 years. Okay. So about a decade. That's a big deal. Uh, out of curiosity, I mean, you're kind of all over. So I'm kind of curious to know, you know, about your laundromats, but also kind of the areas in general, like what is it costing to do laundry out there? Like in terms of vend prices and you know, how does that vary depending on the locations? Yeah. So, I mean, the most rural areas that we have, um, you know, there, there's still about 10 cents a pound, you know, a little bit, a little bit more. Um, and those are, are now, especially with where we're at right now with inflation, those are, are starting to slowly creep up. But um, it's, I would say the average price, you know, across those areas. I mean, across the, the metropolitan areas uh, and, and, and the rural areas on average, I'm seeing um, about, you know, 10 cents a pound plus 50 or 75 cents, you know, so 250, 275, 450, 475, that, that thing. Um, now, um, but once again, you go downtown DC, you know, you're paying, you know, $12 for an 80 pound washer. Um, you know, maybe a little bit more, you know, depending on the competition and, and the area. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty wide, pretty wide range. It's always interesting to me to hear how much it costs to do laundry in different places. Cause some places where you wouldn't expect it to be, you know, high prices are high. And like some places like parts of New York, parts of LA here, prices actually are lower than, yeah. you know, some of like the Midwest towns and cities. Uh, I, I guess maybe cause competition is so high, but, uh, but they also tend to be really, you know, high expenses in LA, New York, you know, those areas. So it's just kind of mm-hmm. interesting how that plays out. Um, okay. Uh, turns per day. I mean, what are you looking at in your locations? I'm sure it varies. Uh, what, I mean, what are you seeing? So it varies a little bit. I mean, size of store, you know, uh, area located, but I'm seeing in my locations turns per day, uh, about, on average, six, six and a half. Man, I would kill for six turns a day. Like literally, I would kill someone. Well, we already, well, we already <laughs> said, I, I can hit three states in an hour, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have a lot more competition, you know, that, that whole deal. Yeah. All right. Well, if I have to sacrifice a small child to get six turns a day, I might consider doing it. So just <laughs> let, let me know. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome uh, to get to get that kind of turns per day. And I mean, out of curiosity, I mean, as a distributor, are you seeing that to be typical uh, with people or are you like a superstar? 
No, no. I mean, not necessarily. I, I, I do think that there, there are some areas that, that I do well in. And I think, I mean, we just finished talking about marketing. I, that helps tremendously. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it, it does vary. And then, I mean, even back to the comment that we talked about in terms of building out the store. I mean, you know, if you do well in your store and bring people into your location and you have half the washers that the space would fit out, then you're obviously going to have more terms. And then mm-hmm. in a situation like that, as you have, you know, you build out the store with half the equipment and your turns start going up and then you start having a waiting line on a Saturday or Sunday. Okay. That's the, that's the signal. I need to start adding some more equipment. So um, I'm not necessarily a superstar. I mean, you know, there's locations that um, I would say for the most part, um, uh, unless I'm in, in, in the backwoods country, you know, for the most part, we're above, you know, four, four and a half turns. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And look at it. I mean, listen, you're just, you're being modest right now. And I, I appreciate that. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it, that you are a superstar if you're doing six turns. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, real quick, kind of going back similar to the VIN prices. I mean, are you, do you offer wash, dry, fold or pick up and delivery at any of your locations? Yeah, uh, yes. So, um, some of the locations, not all. So, I mean, of the, of the 11 locations, um, uh, the majority are attended and, and do wash dry fold. Uh, I think I have, uh, three or four are unattended on, you know, around the, you know, 2000 square foot mark or less and mm-hmm. our unattended stores, um, everything else, you know, beyond that is attended. Um, uh, and then very small amount of, of pickup and delivery. Um, it's, uh, I don't, in my personal experience, it's, 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 it's a significant amount of work to get it up off the ground and to do it properly, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that takes a lot of time. I mean, um, nothing, nothing wrong and nothing against it, especially in more populated areas. I have customers that I built stores for, you know, um, like DC Beltway area and they are killing it. They're doing fantastic job, uh, with pickup and delivery and, um, uh, the needs there. Yeah, absolutely. What do you, I mean, what are you seeing that the cost is for, you know, wash, dry, fold or pickup and delivery? So for wash, dry, fold, um, varies a little bit. I mean, but somewhere between, I mean, the, the typical wash, dry, fold, not yeah, the yeah. wash, dry bag and, and all that good stuff, all but right. the typical wash, dry, fold, we're seeing between a buck, buck 50. Okay. Yeah. And any idea on like pickup and delivery, like what's that running? <laughs> I, I would have to give you a menu. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it could be all yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so we already kind of talked about attended, unattended. You got mostly attended. Are they fully attended? The ones that are attended or partially? Uh, in terms of, so we operate basically like six to 11 and then it is fully attended six to 11. Okay. Yeah, cool. And then you have a few that are unattended and you just have cleaners coming in. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I have cleaners coming in, you know, once or twice a day, depending on use. And then even some of the locations that are attended, I have, you know, um, depending on demand of cleanliness, but wash dry fold, I might have at any given time, three or four uh, attendants, you know, working at a location. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we already talked about coin card, both. You got a lot of the, the bigger ones are card and your smaller ones are hybrid and you don't have any coin only, right? No coin only right now. Yeah. Cool. Uh, out of curiosity, I mean, you got a lot going on, right? You got 
almost 11 laundromats now and you got a, a distributorship that's, you know, doing well. Uh, what, I, how, how much time do you think you're spending on your laundromat business? Not the distributorship side, but the laundromat owner side of things. So, um, a small amount now, a small amount now. And, and I don't, you know, I have to have the caveat that, you know, that's not necessarily the norm. I don't recommend for people to be, you know, as distant. Um, and part of it is because of growing, um, both businesses to a point to where I have managers and regional managers and store managers and things like that. Um, I don't physically need to be in the stores that often. I also have, um, you know, I work very closely with my family and I still have family that's involved as well. So, um, for instance, my, my, my mother, my father, my sister, they are, are very involved on the laundromat side of things. So the day-to-day, they handle those and the managers, of course, as well. And then um, I kind of follow up with them. So in terms of me being in the stores, um, you know, it rotates. Uh, I still like going in and doing kind of a routine inspection, uh, at least like once a month. Um, quite frankly, I don't need, I, I recommend that it needs to be more than that, you know, uh, for, for somebody, even, you know, getting into double digit stores, it needs to be more often just to see, you know, what's the condition of the paint or, you know, ceiling tile or whatever the case is, how many machines are out of work. So me personally, um, like time in store on a, on a weekly basis, it'd be hard to give, give you a number, but on, I don't know if I averaged it, you know, maybe, an hour or two myself, but that's, that's not a good gauge just for myself. Um, but then of course the majority of my work with the laundromats is, uh, from my computer, you know, reviewing the, the, the data and everything from the card systems to, you know, collection reports to, you know, accounting reports and things like that. Yeah, no, that's good. And yeah. And I, I think a lot of people kind of come in with the expectation that it's going to be like that from the get go. Uh, but they're, you know, it's like everybody else, right? Like what they're not seeing is the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours you put in to get it to a point where it can function with, you know, you not being physically present too often. So, so probably the, the better way for me to answer it is on like the first couple stores. Um, you know, I, it, it, it would be easy for me to be spending, you know, on, on my first store, 20, 30 hours a week in the store, mm-hmm. you know, um, give or take a little bit. And then I would say as, as it's grown, um, like I said, there's, there was ceilings that I broke through and then, you know, relieve myself a little bit. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, last question and down to business that I have is, uh, I mean, what are your goals? Are you, do you have a number of laundromats you're shooting for? You know, on that side of things, or are you just kind of rolling with it and seeing what happens? I'm rolling with it and seeing what happens. I think I might've mentioned this to you uh, before, as far as a number, uh, more, you know, uh, it's <laughs> just, uh, no, no set number, no set goal. Um, it, it's based on, um, what we can handle when we can handle and then how I can roll in, you know, uh, you know, financing and, and, and what certain areas require and what they need, et cetera. So no set number, but, um, yeah, I have, uh, I, I have employees I got to take care of. I got a family, you know, little kids and stuff like that. So, um, and everything is costing more and more every day. So I need more. That's right. More. Love it. That's we, all our goals should be that more. Give us more. More. Uh, <laughs> all right. Awesome. We have another section of the podcast called Secret Sauce. Listen up. It's the Secret Sauce. And secret sauce is this, uh, what's something that you feel like is working well in your businesses right now that you could recommend to other owners to help, you know, take their business up a level. For me to give them 
the I, we've already talked about it, but for me to give them the number one for me is is the the marketing segment that we talked about. I mean, um, I, I don't mean to be redundant with that, but um, that that's got to be done. I mean, that that is the number one thing. That's that's probably one of the the things that I'm most proud of. I mean, I have a very very talented individual that that is doing our marketing, and if it wasn't for that, we would not be where we are at. Um, whether it be one store, whether it be eleven stores, it doesn't matter. The marketing comes down to it, and then specifically, like I said, online. Okay, so just we didn't talk about this in the marketing specifically, so. Okay. Talk to the owner right now who maybe either isn't doing any marketing or, you know, maybe is throwing 50 or hundred bucks a month at Google ads or something like that. Where should they start? Like what's, what's a good first step if they say, okay, I want to up my marketing game. What's a good first step for them? So what I would say is, um, you know, once again, there's a, there's a little bit of variable and depending on size of the store budget, all that good stuff. I mean, there are certainly marketing firms and marketing companies. I mean, prior to me having a full-time marketing individual within, within house, um, I used a marketing firm, a local marketing firm that I could physically go sit down with them, look them face to face and work with it in person, what my goals are, what we're trying to do, and then follow up with them on a, you know, a monthly basis. Um, obviously that, that's, that's somewhat expensive, you know, and it got to a point to where it made more sense and better quality in house. But, um, prior to that is, you know, it, it, it's on you individually. So in the nights, in the evenings, um, you know, on the weekends, um, you know, I forget about sleep and, and, and focus on learning and, and getting better at the marketing and taking some of like the free online, like Google workshops and things like that to, uh, to be better at the, uh, the AdWords and to be better at organic and then see what you can do. Um, you know, work on a website, you know, if, if, if you're, confident enough, build your own website to, to base it off of, you know, and, uh, buy your domain. Um, if, if you're not, or you have a, have a relationship or, you know, go to a company that's going to build, you know, a simple website. I mean, it doesn't have to be an elaborate website by any means. I mean, it needs to be, it, it's gotta be something and you'll find this like in the, the store and we'll find this when they do some of the research, like with the Google AdWords and, and the organic side of things, the keywords and, 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 um, the content that is on the website is more important than having some kind of flashy website. Um, but being very clear, concise to the point. Um, and, and, and that's on you. And then I also, you know, recommend, so working with other companies like, uh, Vista print and things like this to do some mailers, but once again, make sure that it's targeted and then set a goal for yourself. And, and, um, as you're trying to achieve more turns per day on a weekly and monthly basis, make a determination or, you know, continuing doing that, are you going to keep the same percentage of your gross revenue in, uh, for advertising expense, or are you going to modify that and how are you going to modify that? Um, so yeah. And, and, and break your budget up that way, but yeah. starting off, it's on you. Awesome tips. Two things I'll say, I'll say about that is number one is, uh, I actually have a free course where I went through and I built a laundromat website, uh, and, uh, right, right in front of you. And I actually give you a template so that you can start right where I am and you can do that for free. And it's a good looking website. And that exact website ranks number one on Google for one of my laundromats. So uh, you, you, can, 
yeah. use that, modify it however you want to. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, or if you're on YouTube, it'll be down below in the, below in the description. Uh, yeah. The other thing I wanted to say is I'm getting old and I can't remember what the other thing was, but uh, <laughs> super good, uh, super good advice uh, there for the marketing stuff. Um, all right, we have another segment of the podcast called Pro Tips. Pro Tips. And pro tips is this. Hey, somebody's looking to get their first laundromat. What do they need to know that's going to help set them on the path to success? Do, do the work. And what I mean by do the work is um, don't expect to come in and within a week or a month uh, buy your first laundromat. And, and, and don't get me wrong. There, there's chances and there's opportunities. I mean, right now to buy your first laundromat, I can speak for, you know, my given area of the, of the world. Um, Inventory is low right now, and inventory is is probably at, a, at an all time low um, within you know the Mid Atlantic area as far as what uh, stores are are uh, available. So Here do too. your work, and yeah, yeah. I mean, do your work, and I mean, even things to where um, you know you target a given area based on where you live and 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 and, and uh, an area that you see as a good opportunity, and go in and see some of the store owners. You know, see some of the store owners that are possibly looking to retire or whatever the case is, and they just haven't pulled the trigger and and listing it with an agent or listing it for sale themselves or whatever the case is. Talk to them and and you know see if they would be willing. Um, I've also seen that that has worked out well with some store owners to where in a scenario that works out like that, that same store owner is willing to do like some, you know, actual decent training, you know, decent training to get you in the business because, you know, he built it and that's his baby type of thing. Um, so, and then also um, outside of that, you know, whether it be a broker, so a business broker for finding a location or, you know, if, if potentially you're looking to build a laundromat for your first store, um, you know, a, a, uh, a lease broker, you know, that, that's going to bring good locations to you. And um, that's something I, I know, it, I know it's difficult. I mean, I, I've been through it, um, but building a good relationship and somebody who's going to be honest and work hard for you and have the best interest to try to take you from one location into a second or third location. Um, that's the guy you want. So, um, at the same time, you know, I mentioned it before and it, and it becomes more important as you have more and more stores, but, you know, setting up a proper insurance relationship and an, and, a, and an attorney for lease review and all that good stuff. Um, but, um, and then I would probably wrap up with saying, I know it's difficult and there's a lot of things out there on the internet, uh, you know, distributors are the devil, but do your research, have a conversation and, and multiple conversations and find a distributor that is willing to help you also find a distributor that's out beating the streets as well and knows the area knows the industry. And they're not just sitting behind a desk, taking orders and selling equipment, find somebody who knows laundromats, find somebody who understands the pain that you're going to have when you get a telephone call because your laundromat is flooding in the middle of the night. That's the type of distributor. And that's the type of individual who has the experience. And is also going to understand what your personal needs are and what you need to find in location so that when he comes across a customer who's looking to sell or when he comes across a location from a broker or landlord or whatever, he can bring it to you and say, Hey, this is available. Um, and then the last thing is uh, financial, the financial relationship. Um, talking with a proper financial representative to give you recommendation on how you set yourself up to buy or to build and what you need to do and how you need to do it. And then you basically will take that and and go through the process from bank to distributor to broker, you know, all the way down the line to set that up. 
and then have a realistic expectation. Once again, don't think that it's going to happen in the first week or the first month. I also, I wouldn't recommend, um, you know, I'm a pretty aggressive person. Uh, you know, you start taking, you know, uh, I've been researching for a year, two years, three years about buying a laundromat. This industry, any business is, is going to run you over. Okay. Listen, man, I just asked for a tip, not a master. Class I'm sorry. On. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that was awesome, man. I mean, legit. It was like a master class on if you're going to buy a laundromat, uh, man, this, these are the things you need to know. These are the things you need to do, uh, in order to get in this business and to succeed in it. Right. And I mean, just real quick, I wanted to highlight, you know, you, there, there's no, there's no absolute shortcut from, you know, being a noob to laundromat success. But I think the straightest line to that is exactly what you're saying is work with good people. And in particular, work with a good distributor, work with a good uh, broker. If you're going to go that route, work with a good financial person, uh, people who know the industry and people who can help you shortcut that path, uh, you know, or at least make your lines as straight as possible to, uh, being successful in this industry. You know, don't be the lone wolf. That's what I was when I got in the industry and it really bit me hard. Uh, and so, I mean, it's why I do this, right. To tell people, Hey, don't go the way I went. You know, take the straightest line you can take. And the path mm -hmm. to that, I'm fully convinced. I don't know. We're like 80s, high 80s of the episodes now, depending on when this comes out. Uh, you know, and one of my big takeaways is the straightest path is to work with the best people. So go find the best people. Right. And, you know, like you said, distributors are not devils, but distributors can be devils and brokers are not devils, but brokers can be devils. And so, you know, when you work with good people, you're going to make that line straight to success or at least as straight as possible. Uh, so I and, and great. You, you need it, whether it's store number one or store number 10, you still exactly. need that, you know, relationship. Exactly. And in fact, you know, Luke Williford, he's got, I don't know, like 70 laundromats or something. Now he's got, he's got a bazillion. Right. And yeah. he, I, he'll say the same thing, right? Like he still works with his distributor, his distributor because he's got a really great distributor and relies on mm -hmm. them. So, uh, I mean, super important, no matter where you're at on that process and you're way, just take it from me. You're way better off finding that person or those people who are good early on than finding them later down the line. So That's right. uh, start <laughs> off with the good ones. Uh, that was awesome, man. Seriously, like a masterclass. Um, okay. Uh, one last segment before we start to wrap things up is, which I think is probably going to tie in with both your secret sauce and your pro tip, but uh, recommended resources. What resources do you recommend to help people grow their businesses or to grow themselves personally? So um, I get asked this question, you know, somewhat regularly and, you know, Hey Cameron, you know, uh, what classes did you take in college that, that helped you? Or, you know, what can I take that can help? Don't get me wrong. There's business classes, there's accounting classes, there's things like that that you can take online or go to school for. That is fantastic. Hey, Cameron, what books have you read that, you know, set, you know, made a difference? You know, I, I've, I've read plenty of books. I've belonged to, you know, uh, coaching, you know, uh, groups and things like that, that have been objectively great for me as a business owner and growing my business and basically anything that is going to challenge me or push me to be better at what I'm doing. So anything like that's fantastic. But when it comes down to it, like my biggest recommendation for a real resource and 
this is not just like a, a, a biased plug, but this is an example. So for instance, one of the biggest reasons that I have been successful in what I do, if I could sum it up and almost darn near sum it up to one individual is uh, Mark Stern at Eastern Funding. And um, once again, uh, you know, everybody has banking relationships. And, you know, if you have the same relationship with your banker and he provides you the same thing that Mark Stern provides me, then that's fantastic. But you are doing yourself a disservice if you do not use them for the ability. And the reason, for instance, I recommend Mark Stern at Eastern Funding is because of his experience within the industry. So he has the industry experience. He has the, the across the nation uh, uh, experience. You know, I'm located in, in the Mid-Atlantic area. You're, you're, you're located out in California. But so he can put uh, he, as an example, puts the entire country together and educates, hey, this is what I'm seeing here. This is what I'm seeing there. And then also looking at the finances, hey, I'm doing my first store. I'm looking to buy a store. Okay, great. Well, you need to do X, Y, Z to get to this point. You need to provide this. You know, this is what I recommend in your business plan, or I'm going from number, uh, from number one to number two, or I'm building out a store, you know, and then how do I accomplish this? What kind of money do I need to put down and why? Um, and then how can you go from store number two to store number three with the equity in your store and how to prepare yourself and your personal finances so that it can be, you know, easily approved and, and, um, or renovating your store or putting in new equipment, your financial resource and relationship. And once again, I'm using my example of Mark Stern at Eastern, because that's what he's provided for me. I would not be where I'm at today at store number 11, if it wasn't for that man. And you need to find that individual for yourself. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Recommended resource, uh, specific name, but also, you know, just the, the concept of, you know, I, I mean, it, it goes right back to everything you've been. It's one of the big themes that's been running through this whole uh, interview, right? Is, mm-hmm. you know, work with, work with good people, right? That's and right. they're going to elevate you. They're going to take you up, you know, to new levels that you can't get to on your own. So awesome recommended resources. Uh, well, Cameron, this, I mean, seriously is jam packed full of useful stuff. You know, if you're listening to this right now, you're probably going to need to go back and listen again and take some notes. I've been taking pages of notes, uh, this entire time. So a lot of really good stuff. I know I've learned a lot. I know the, the listeners are going to, uh, have learned a lot also. Uh, so my last question for you then is if number one, somebody wants to get a hold of you just to kind of pick your brain a little bit or to thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing, uh, you know, all this stuff or whatever, or number two lives in your service area and is looking for a good distributor. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? So my email address is Cameron. C-A-M-E-R-O-N at L-E-S laundry.com. That's Cameron at L-E-S laundry.com. My office number is 800-866-6905. And my website is L-E-S laundry.com. Awesome. And all of those will be in the show notes or if you're on YouTube down below in the description, uh, that way you can get a hold of Cameron and either pick his brain and or, uh, you know, work with him. Uh, maybe who knows, maybe he's going to be your Mark Stern. He's going to be your, your one person. Uh, and, uh, legit, you got, you know, you got the knowledge, the wisdom, the experience, the skills uh, to be that person for lots of people. So, dude, this uh, has been incredible. Thank you again for taking the time to come on and share all this stuff with us. Uh, cannot wait. We got to do some more stuff together. I know we've done one webinar together already. Uh, now we got a podcast episode under our belt. 
you know, let's do some more stuff together. It's a lot of fun. Let's make it happen. All right. Appreciate it, man. All right. Tons of great stuff there from Cameron Clark. Huge thank you again for to Cameron for coming on the show, sharing with us so much good stuff. And every week I challenge you, I encourage you, I implore you, pick one thing, just one thing and put it into action this week. And maybe go share what that one thing is on the forums, automatresource.com slash forums. Uh, man, for me, the one big takeaway, and I saw this thing kind of throughout, is he had a huge focus on teams right? Building a good team, whether that's uh, your team that's going to help you find your business, that team that's going to help you run your business, your you know your in-house team or the people that you need kind of supporting you as a business owner. Uh, I just, I love, love, love that. And I think my natural tendency, and to be honest, I think a lot of entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial tendencies is to uh, be more towards the lone wolf side of the spectrum. Um, and yet I've seen, and I am like thoroughly convinced, not great at it always, but thoroughly convinced that you need to be surrounded by great people uh, to, to you know, accomplish great things and become great yourself. So uh, man, I love that. And that is something that I'm going to place a focus on this week and, you know, continuing on going forward. Cause I do think it's vital. So awesome insight from Cameron there. And uh, man, hopefully you guys love that. And next week is show 90. So I'm excited about that. Hopefully you're excited about that. We're creeping up on show 100 here and another big milestones coming up uh, probably even much sooner than that. So look forward to that too. For the Resource Podcast, this is Jordan. Peace.